the number one thing that we discovered um, was recovery. I mean, every athlete we talked to, it wasn't like we interviewed 100 and only 60 gave the answers we wanted. It was basically every single person we interviewed had the same response, that their recovery got better. They reduced inflammation. Therefore, they were able to speed up the recovery process, train more, and improve as an athlete. This is the Plant Fueled Podcast. My name is Cass Warbeck. I'm a medical student, plant-based athlete, and vegan lifestyle advocate. This podcast is all about bringing you conversations to optimize your health and elevate your performance. Welcome to the first real episode of the Plant Fueled Podcast. My goal is to bring you conversations to help you optimize your health and elevate your performance. I wanted to really set the bar high with my first guest here, and I think I've succeeded. Today, I am joined by Robert Cheek, also known as the godfather of vegan bodybuilding. He's followed a plant-based diet for more than 25 years. Robert just co-authored a New York Times bestselling book called The Plant-Based Athlete, which we dive into during this discussion. Before we start, here's a bit about Robert. Grew up on a farm in Oregon and adopted a vegan lifestyle in 1995 at age 15, weighing just 120 pounds. Fast forward to today, and Robert is a two-time natural bodybuilding champion and author of several books, the latest being The Plant-Based Athlete. He is considered one of the most influential vegan athletes and tours the world sharing his transformation from skinny farm kid to champion vegan bodybuilder. He contributes regularly to No Meat Athlete, Forks Over Knives, is a multi-sport athlete and an entrepreneur. This is a fun conversation that is packed with practical information. We talk about the benefits of plant-based diets for athletes in particular, dispel the protein myth, touch on what Robert has learned from interviewing so many elite athletes, and more. This episode is for any athletes out there curious about all the hype surrounding plant-based diets these days, or just for anyone passionate about health and fitness. I truly hope you enjoy, and please share with anyone else who needs to hear this message. Robert, welcome. I am so excited to have you here. So you just co-authored the book, The Plant-Based Athlete, and I think congratulations are due. What does it feel like to be a New York Times bestselling author? Well, thank you, Cass. I appreciate that, and thank you for having me on today. You know, for me, it's something that I've been working toward my entire life. So it feels amazing. I mean, this is something that I legitimately was working toward in the third grade when I was eight years old and decided that I wanted to be a writer someday. And I worked at that and I continued to work at that through high school and beyond and and had these aspirations. And I even saw on, on social media the other day, someone said, I remember you telling me that you were going to do this in high school, you know, t- uh, whatever it was, 20 something years ago. And, and you had no hesitation in your voice. And, and the next day, my cousin posted and said, I remember Robert telling me this 21 years ago. And, it, you know, it, it, it's something that took a while. You know, it took a long time. And it took me needing a, a co-author in Matt Frazier. It took me needing to write a bunch of self-published books before this. You know, it, it took a lot of failed projects. It took a lot of learning. It took a lot of networking and collaborating with others who would go on to support this book. Uh, including the experts like Dr. T. Colin Campbell and Cobble Esselstyn and Brenda Davis and uh, Cyrus Kambata. And, it, you know, it took all of that. So to sit here today and currently be on the New York Times bestseller list is, is a pretty incredible feeling. That's amazing. Well, it's so much hard work went into it. And I can tell you the book is a masterpiece and you deserve, uh, you and Matt Fraser deserve all the credit that it's getting. And um, I'm sure it's going to inspire so many future plant-based athletes in years to come. That's the goal. That's the goal. So thank you. (laughs) Of course. So before we get into everything plant-based athlete, I was wondering if we could start off with a really quick overview of your journey. So why did you go plant-based originally and how did you ever get into bodybuilding? 
Yeah, they both seem pretty unlikely. I grew up on a farm in Western Oregon. Corvallis is my hometown. And, uh, you know, I spent 20 years, actually a little bit more than 20 years living on a farm. So I would I, I raised animals. You know, I showed animals at the county fair. I, uh, you know, I had pets that were cows that had first names, you know, just like a dog or a cat. And, you know, it was something that, that during the 90s, um, I, I started to pay more attention to uh, animal rights and animal cruelty and and things around those topics. My older sister was the catalyst there. She organized an animal rights week at my high school. And that's when I, I saw videos of factory farming and animal testing. And I decided, you know what? Uh, I no longer want to contribute to this. But I was a five-sport athlete in high school. You know, I was a pretty good athlete. And I wanted to get bigger and stronger. And I thought, is this even possible? You know, can I build muscle, uh, you know, without animal protein? I didn't even know the expression plant-based diet back then. I don't think really anybody did. It was, you know, vegan lifestyle and, and primarily people got into it for animal rights like I did. And so at age 15, weighing 120 pounds, I decided that I would become vegan and, uh, and stick with it for a long time. You know, I, I did it for a week and that has now turned into something like 1300 weeks. So more than a quarter century, more than 25 years. And, and I eventually did get bigger and stronger. You know, that was my worry. That was my hope. That was my, uh, my question, my concern. And I went on to win multiple bodybuilding championships and had the opportunity to compete at the IMBA Natural Bodybuilding World Championships in 2006. And I, you know, had a great 10-year uh, bodybuilding career. And, and, you know, and then I, I decided I want to go back to my roots and start writing. You know, I had been writing books and, or trying to write books for a long time. And so by age 30, uh, actually probably even 29, I retired from competitive bodybuilding and started writing about my experiences. You know, I wrote a, a book called Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness in 2010. And that was kind of my, my journey up until then. And then I wrote another book and another book and another book. And I wrote about every three or four years, I wrote another book as I would continue to learn more and gain more knowledge and gain more experience. And, uh, and then that led to where we are now with the plant-based athlete, where um, you know, I had this idea of of telling the compelling stories of the world's greatest plant-based athletes. And I, I needed a co-author to do this. And I thought, you know, who better than my longtime friend, Matt Fraser, who has the No Meat Athlete community, uh, focuses on an endurance community. Mine had been strength the whole time, you know, a, a bodybuilding community for all these years. And so I reached out to Matt. Uh, in fact, I flew across the country and, and met up with Matt on the East Coast and, and kind of presented this idea to him to tell these compelling stories of the world's greatest plant-based athletes. And he said, let's do it. I'm in. And so we went to work and we, we spent the last two and a half years working on this project. And, and here we are today, lucky enough to land on the New York Times bestseller list and also becoming number one international bestseller because we finished number one in Canada. So we're very, very grateful for Canada. <laughs> I had it pre-ordered months before the release. I couldn't wait to receive it. Um, so I think that's one of the most ama like amazing things about the book is you don't just focus on strength athletes. You don't just focus on endurance athletes. You really draw in all these truly inspirational stories and you're showing athletes from all across the board and you're just showing how a plant-based diet can benefit each and every one of them. Um, so I think it has the opportunity to resonate with so many different people in different ways. Yeah, that's what we hope. You know, sometimes... People think maybe a plant-based diet is just for endurance athletes, you know, because it was really, really popular in long distance running and, and ultra running and marathons and, and 10Ks, 5Ks, especially in the 90s, um, late 90s and early 2000s. Like, you know, we had 
Brendan Brazier and Scott Jurek and Fiona Oaks and Rip Esselstyn. And then along came uh, Rich Roll and Matt Frazier and all these different people. And so it's, it's something that people realize is, you know, oftentimes synonymous with, um, you know, uh, you know, long distance running can be synonymous with a plant-based diet or vice versa, but to have uh, bodybuilders and powerlifters and NFL football players and NHL players, Olympic athletes, excuse me, Olympic athletes, um, athletes of all types, uh, boxers, wrestlers, um, that shows that, you know, even in the strength and power sports, you can get all the protein you need from plants and you can excel on a plant-based diet. And that's really what we wanted to show with the plant-based athlete. And that's why we have things like the day in the life routine. You know, we can see from in, towards the back of the book, from morning until night, what people do, you know, what their breakfast is, what their lunch is, what their dinner is, what their workouts are like, what their pre and post-workout nutrition is like. Um, that's all there. So, um, you know, we're, we're excited about that. It's been received really, really well so far, um, especially in, in the U.S. and Canada, where it's primarily available. And, uh, and we do hope, like you said, this is going to be a tool, a resource, a manual that helps many, many people become plant-based athletes. We wrote it to be a how-to approach. You know, this is the book on how to be a plant-based athlete. Everything from the macro micronutrition, the protein, carbohydrates, fats, nutrient density, calorie density, vitamins, minerals, supplementation, meal plans, recipes that even come from the athletes themselves. Like this is designed to be that resource. We, we wrote it that way. We built it that way. We incorporated 60 world-class plant-based athletes dozens of experts, nutritionists, dietitians, physicians, uh, world-renowned experts in gut health or, or in, in nutrition or uh, in various areas of medicine. And, and we've put this thing together to be that ultimate resource. And, and, and I think we did that, you know, and that's, and that's what we set out to do. And so here we are uh, making various bestseller lists and having an, an impact which is exactly why you know we came we became plant based in the first place. For me, twenty five years ago, for Matt, a dozen years ago, it was to make a difference in the world around us, and uh, I feel like this book has given us the opportunity to do that. I think so. The book is so comprehensive, and it's truly a force for the plant based movement. Um, so I do want to tackle the protein question, but just not quite yet. Just take a broad overview, setting aside the environmental and ethical benefits of going plant based. What are the most compelling reasons for why an athlete um, might want to consider becoming plant-based and changing their diet to more plant-predominant? Oh, sure. You know, the, the, the number one thing, Cass, that we discovered um, was recovery. I mean, every athlete we talked to, it wasn't like we interviewed 100 and only 60 gave the answers we wanted. It was basically every single person we interviewed had the same response, that their recovery got better. They reduced inflammation. Therefore, they were able to speed up the recovery process, train more, and improve as an athlete. So basically, it comes down to avoiding pro-inflammatory foods, which tend to be animal protein and processed foods, and eating really high anti-inflammatory foods, You know, plant-based foods that have these anti-inflammatory properties, whether that's ginger, turmeric, uh, you know, tart cherries, beets, leafy green vegetables, or, or, you know, or the whole, uh, whole plant-based kingdom combined, the really high antioxidant content of of, of berries and, and fruits, especially, uh, that's what we saw, you know, and there's also things like the fact that dietary cholesterol is only found in animal protein, you know, and then that's not found in a plant-based diet. And the fact that, 
um, that, that fiber, which 97% of Americans and probably very, you know, similar numbers around the world, uh, 97% of Americans don't get enough of, you know, fiber is only found in plants. And you look at the antioxidant content, again, combating free radicals and just providing really, really positive health components. And you look at uh, plants having 64 times more antioxidants than animals. And really that, that 164th that animals do have of antioxidants typically comes from the plants that they eat. And then that we, you know, then we eat them. And so, uh, so just really cutting out the middleman, the middle animal and going straight to the source of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, fiber, phytonutrients, uh, that, that is a great way to go. And so that is what is really helping people with their performance. And then you look at also the nutrient density and calorie density ratios. So, you know, plants are going to have the highest nutrients per calorie. And you can look at Dr. Joel Furman's Andy score, the aggregate nutrient density index, and realize that, um, that leafy green vegetables are atop the list, you know, by, by kind of a, a wide margin as far as measuring on, on 37 different, um, you know, Im important uh, areas of measurement to determine, you know, what is the nutritional return on investment? Um, what are you getting from this, from this food selection? Um, when you consume it, and leafy greens tend to be the best, and then fruits, and uh, and legumes, and grains, and nuts, and seeds, and you know, on down the line, and so that that's where the benefit lies. That if you're going to consume an X amount of calories, which we all are, we all have our calorie needs, and uh, you know, calorie goals, and and all of that based on what our what our sports are, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna want to get the most return on investment out of that, and so. Um, so plants do that so well, and that's what people are experiencing. But specifically, it, what they're getting is they're getting a, a better recovery, uh, and and that and it leads to overall improvement as an athlete. And they're getting typically more energy, uh, which is just a byproduct of eating high energy foods and avoiding the foods that are, you know, kind of energy sucking with the time it takes to digest and you know break down and all that kind of stuff. And um, and they're also seeing a lot of longevity added to their athletic careers. You know, if you can reduce inflammation, especially chronic inflammation, and just uh, have less soreness and feel better, uh, prevent injuries, you can do it for a longer period of time. Yeah, no, um, I can test testify to that myself, even throughout my Muay Thai career. Just if you recover faster, you can train harder the next day. You're not slowed down between workouts. And everyone says the true benefit of training comes in the recovery. So um, it's I find it phenomenal that every single athlete pointed that out. And did you? Yeah. yeah did you experience that as well during your bodybuilding career? Yeah, you know, it's it's for me, it's, it's a little bit harder to say because I became vegan at age 15 when I was a runner before bodybuilder. Um, so I've never, I've never been a bodybuilder uh, while eating animal protein or animal foods. So um, I can't necessarily compare. But what I can say is that, you know, a plant-based diet never, never slowed me down. You know, I put on 100 pounds from 120 pounds to 220 pounds over the course of all those years. And, um, and it, never, it never slowed me down. In fact, the more I fine-tuned my nutrition plan, um, the more I focus on whole foods and fewer supplements and all of that, um, the better, you know, just the better results that I got. So it's been it's been really been really good for me. And it's also been good for me as the as a as a writer and as a co-author to interview all these people who've been doing it for a shorter amount of time. You know, because I don't I don't I don't remember at age 15 
um, as a as a runner and soccer player and basketball player, w- what dramatic differences I may or may not have experienced. I just I just don't remember because uh, I wasn't looking for that necessarily. I wasn't coming it for coming to it for performance reasons, right? I was I got into it for veganism and I was uh, for animal rights and I was just you know I still love sports and I was doing my thing. But to talk to people now, Olympic athletes, world champions, record holders, professionals who've been doing this for a few years or for five or 10 years, they, they can they can remember uh, clearly what it was like before and after, including some really great professional athletes who are at the top of the world right now, like Chris Paul in the NBA, who's in the NBA Western Conference Finals. He's been vegan for like two and a half years or so, plant-based two and a half years. And he talks specifically about the inflammation, the soreness that he doesn't, doesn't have anymore as a result of his plant-based diet. And he gives a lot of credit to that. So um, while I can't say my specific results unequivocally were, you know, all these different things are different, um, what I can do is interview a whole lot of people and learn from them and realize that, you know, my recovery has been great. In my 40s, you know, I'm in my 40s now. I train hard. My muscle soreness isn't, you know, isn't there for very long. Um, It's not prolonged. I can recover, train the same muscle groups, you know, relatively soon after. And, uh, and it's all good. So, um, so it's, it has been really, really interesting to talk to other people and, and get their perspectives and experiences. Yeah, I can imagine. And I guess being vegan for over 25 years, <laughs> it's hard to remember. Totally right. Um, so you mentioned you put on over a hundred pounds of muscle on a vegan diet. So I think this might be a good segue in like to tackle the protein question. And I apologize because I'm sure you've answered this question um, thousands of times now in all your interviews, but let's um, get it out of the way. Can an athlete get enough protein on a plant-based diet? Yeah, absolutely. You you get enough protein on a plant-based diet when you consume your calorie needs. So as long as you reach your requisite calorie needs, you're going to get adequate protein. That's just the way the macronutrient uh, breakdown works. You know, if you're eating 2,000 calories, 3,000 calories, whatever it is, if you have any kind of variation in your diet whatsoever, you will by default get enough protein. And, and that is, you know, partly because our bodies only need a small amount. You know, we only need five to 10% of our total calorie intake coming from protein, maybe a little bit higher for athletes, maybe 12, 15%, if you like. But um, that's just, you know, bumping up your total calories a little bit. It doesn't mean you have to um, dramatically increase your you know, percentage of macronutrient intake. Maybe your total volume goes up uh, of food, whatever the case is. But, uh, the, you know, the recommendations are, you know, for athletes, um, you know, especially those quite active, 1.2 to 2.0 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. It's very easy to reach on a plant-based diet. And most people consume two to three times more protein than they really need, including people who are non-athletes, non-active at all. People just who, who kind of sit at home and uh, or maybe not home, but sit in an office, you know, they're not, they're not athletic. They're not active. They don't do any recreational exercise beyond, beyond walking perhaps. And they're still consuming way more protein than they need. And, you know, it's, it's not as if more is better either. There's just, there's just not um, a lot of benefit from consuming all this extra protein that either gets eliminated, uh, maybe gets stored as extra calories, um, or they could even in, in, in copious amounts of excess, you know, could lead to excess weight gain, perhaps even adverse implications for kidneys and liver, Um, you know, and the fact that it comes with a lot of baggage when it's an animal protein form. What I mean by that is that, you know, animal protein tends to come with things like uh, dietary cholesterol, um, elevated levels of saturated fat, high calorie density, 
Um, oftentimes class one or class two A carcinogens. Um, uh, artery clogging material, you know, the ability to damage endothelial cells and artery walls. Um, you know, but, but a big one is that it also prevents us from, you know, fills up a lot of space and prevents us from consuming the more, uh, the more nutrient dense complex carbohydrates, you know, the, the leafy greens, the other vegetables, the fruits, uh, the grains, legumes, um, the things that can provide so much more nutrition if we just balance that out a little bit. You know, if we want those high antioxidants, if we want that high level of fiber, if we want the high levels of vitamins and minerals, like the real nutrition, like the real micronutrition, you know, that's got to come from complex carbohydrates, from, you know, dark pigment colored uh, fruits and vegetables. And, and that's what we should focus on. So basically everybody's eating, uh, you know, all the protein they need, um, oftentimes getting it from less ideal sources. And if we can just reflect on that and realize that, you know, document it for a few days, you know, see where your protein comes from, see how much you're really getting and, and realize that, um, you know, you don't, uh, you don't need quite as much as you think, and it's easier to come by than you think you're, you're already getting more than you think. And if you do want to bump it up, then, okay. So have some things that are like, uh, you know, legumes or, or, you know, uh, tofu or edamame or, or nut butters have, you know, peanut butter sandwich, have a burrito bowl, you know, um, have something like that to boost your protein intake. But for me, you're right. I, I, you know, I put on hundred pounds, not all muscle. There's some fat in there too, of course, and some water weight and everything else. But, but yeah, I put on a full 100 pounds from 120 to 220, hopefully putting that question to rest, you know, that, that, um, you know, I'm one example, but there are many, many examples that you can get absolutely all the protein you need on a plant-based diet. And I, and I think that's how you do it. Um, through example, you know, showing people you show by, by just what you do day in and day out that, that, yeah, you know, you can build muscle on a plant-based diet and, and I'm someone who's doing it and, and you're someone who's doing it and other people are doing it and, en and enough people do it. They act as, as real world examples and people say, you know what, maybe I can do that too. And then they, they put it into practice and, and they do it as well. Exactly. You answered that so well. I have a few follow-up questions, but um, first, when you were putting um, putting on all your mass, all your muscle, how much protein were you aiming to get? Or did you eat more intuitively? Were you tracking your macronutrients or how, what was your approach? Yeah, Cass, I did it both ways um, because I've gone through different phases of this. So I've been, I've gone from runner to bodybuilder, back to runner, back to bodybuilder, you know, back to kind of casual runner, back to weightlifter, you know, not competitive bodybuilder anymore, but weightlifter. So I've, I've tried lots of different approaches. So initially, Cass, I was, you know, a, a kid in the 90s, teenager in the 90s, discovering muscle magazines and in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, really getting into this bodybuilding scene. And so I was, you know, I was, my, my goal was to consume as much as possible because that's just what I learned from mainstream magazines and from other bodybuilders. Um, this was really early internet, you know, uh, but it was mostly magazines that I was reading. And so my goal was back then, believe it or not, and I wasn't even that big. I was like 150 pounds. My goal was 300 grams of protein and 5,000 calories a day. And I did that for a period of time and it worked. You know, I put on quite a bit of size. Um, I put on 19 pounds in 12 weeks, 28 pounds in uh, 10 months, another 10 pounds after that and became a bodybuilder. You know, so I put on, you know, whatever what this 40, you know, almost 40 pounds in, in a year and a half or something. But that was a lot. That was a lot to consume. And, and this was like five protein drinks a day, seven cliff bars a, a day, um, you know, just tons of 
uh, you know, microwavable, you know, burritos and stuff. And again, I was like, you know, 20 years old, living on my own, going to school. You know, I was just trying to figure things out. So uh, during that, doing that approach, I got, got up to about 195 pounds. That was the heaviest I got, period. Um, I just couldn't get any bigger, couldn't get over 200 pounds. Um, and I was obsessed with protein intake and, you know, obviously a ton of processed food, calories and all of that. It was basically just get as many calories as possible and, and train hard. And also when you're 19, 20, 21, you can get away with a lot of stuff. Um, you know, your body just responds, you know, you're, you're, you're so young your body just responds to the workouts and, and, you know, whatever you give it, even if it's like, you know, candy and soda and all this junk food, it, you know, your body's pretty resilient, but that changes as you get older, as I, as I would discover. And so later on Cass, I, you know, I, I got, I went from bodybuilder to runner and, and back and forth and all of this. And then, you know, I, I, I discovered forks over knives and I actually worked for that film. I helped release that film in 2011. I was working in their office and the guys with the film, uh, Brian and Robbie specifically, would tease me in the office all the time because I was here. They here they were making a plant based nutrition film about uh, preventing and reversing common diseases, and I was drinking you know protein drinks all day long. And you know their, their, their movie was about whole foods. It was about the power of whole plant foods in helping with our our common um, diseases and our com- common health problems in the Western world. And I was and I was consuming a lot of uh, you know pre workout post workout powders. They would kind of tease me. You know, Robert needs a a pre workout drink to walk across the room, and needs a protein drink to tie his shoes, and he needs another one, you know, to to help recover from that. And they were kind of teasing me, but at the same time, they were encouraging me to learn more about plant based nutrition. And so I took um, I took Dr. T. Colin Campbell's plant based nutrition course through Cornell Cornell University. It's just a, a you know six week online course to get a certificate in plant-based nutrition, but it's, it's, it's packed full of information. And so I took that course and that changed my perspective on protein. It was actually that particular course that encouraged me to uh, stop all protein supplement consumption and stop all my emphasis on high protein foods. So here I went from, you know, a focus on hundreds of grams of protein per day to consuming fewer than hundred grams of protein per day but really focusing on complex carbohydrates. And so that's what I did. And, you know, my calorie intake changed a little bit. I did document it sometimes for six weeks at a time, sometimes for longer, like every single calorie documented and calculated and, you know, all this stuff just to see what I was doing, what was working, what wasn't. And I'll tell you, you know, um, I wasn't getting any younger, but my mid thirties and late thirties, and then now into my forties, that's when I got bigger and stronger than I had ever been in my entire life. And now I'm 10 years removed from protein supplementation, a full decade removed of emphasis on protein consumption or high protein consumption, I should say. And, you know, and I eat about 10% of my calories from protein these days. And it's worked really, really well for me. And uh, the premise of, um, of two or three of my recent books is that you know, you can, you can do this with whole foods. And if, you know, if, if we have to take all these powders and pills and isolated nutrients and all this just to achieve a certain goal, uh, you know, these have to originate from somewhere. I mean, we have, they have to be derived from something. And why not go to the original source that still has the fiber, still has the water, still has all the, all the macro and micronutrients. And, uh, you know, and to give that a try. 
And I think just a lot of people are unwilling to give it a try because protein has been so successfully marketed uh, to us, especially here in the U.S., that you know we, f- we feel like we can't do anything without it. And we need, we need it to have it at you know, every meal and every beverage, every snack, uh, every food, every supplement. We need more and more and more and more and more. But that, you know, that's led to more and more and more and more health issues rather than helping with them. And so even for athletes, I'm, I'm convinced and doing this for a long time now, um, a full decade on a, low, a lower protein approach compared to a decade of higher protein approach uh, and seeing other people do it too. I'm convinced that it does work really, really well, and that it can work for a lot of other people. And that's basically because you're going back with an emphasis on complex carbohydrates, you're focusing on more nutrients per calorie. And I think that's really the name of the game. Yeah, I find, I actually love that because I find just for myself, I naturally gravitate towards the carbohydrates, the fruit, the legumes, whole grains, things like that. I don't want to eat 15, 20% of my calories from protein. So I find it fascinating that you're advocating for this low for an athlete approach and finding success with it. I just have kind of a couple of follow-up questions then. So some people, they think that animal protein is inherently better at building muscle mass, whether it's because it has all the essential amino acids or the amino acid profiles. And I guess what would be your thoughts on this plant versus animal protein and direct effects on muscle growth? Yeah, well, luckily I don't have to use my uh, opinion much anymore because we've had a number of studies recently, including 2021 studies and some other recent studies that that have put people on a plant-based diet and, you know, and then an omnivorous diet, you know, two different groups, um, same, same gender, same ages, same goals of muscle building or strength building. And have put these two groups um, typically it's like 19 to 34 year old men, I think in a lot of these studies and, and some, uh, one or two, the, one or two of these studies we reference in the book. And there've been even two since then, I think one just came out a, a couple of days ago. I've seen it being passed around by all the plant-based physicians, doctors, experts, um, you know, sharing that news. So what, what we've seen is that during these eight, eight week or 12 week studies is that the results are the same, you know, uh, the, these people on an, an exclusive plant-based diet. Uh, versus an omnivorous diet, the same protein consumption. Uh, they're both supplemented, one with, I think, pea protein, one with whey protein, um, and then just the regular food, the protein that comes from the plant food, the, and then the protein that comes from the mixed omnivorous food, the, the plants and, their, and the animals. And the results have been the same on, on strength gain and on, on muscle mass gain. And so it's, so that's, that's what we're here to say. We're not here to say unequivocally that, you know, plant-based diet is just better in all these different ways. Uh, but what we're saying is it's a viable option um, and it's proven to be a viable option with all the Olympic champions and professional athletes and others, especially considering that uh, people on a plant-based diet make up something like three or 4% of the, the population in North America, very small. And then, so the number of athletes is even smaller and, and, and to still have these champions in all these different sports, record holders and such, including powerlifting and, and really some powerful strength sports it shows that, you know, at this point, I don't think we need to have uh, that many opinions. We, we let the research speak for itself, let the studies speak for themselves, let the data speak for itself. And so uh, we have those now. There's even that endurance study in, uh, in Canada, in Montreal, with the female endurance athletes. Uh, you may have seen, it was pretty popular when it came out in February, I think. And, and it showed, you know, actually superior performance uh, for those on a, on a plant-based diet, greater 
greater endurance, um, I think greater recovery, greater, uh, greater results in, in whatever areas of, 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 uh, you know, of performance they were studying. And we did reference that one in our book as well. And so, you know, it's, it's really looking at the, the, the big picture and understanding that there's a, you, you know, there's a, there's a spectrum here and it, yes, you know, there's going to be some, um, amino acids that are higher in animal protein than plant protein, but, but plants still have all the nine essential amino acids. Some are just in, in smaller amounts, but, but no one's saying you need to eat every single, every single amino acid in its full capacity at every meal. I mean, this is, this, I mean, nobody does that. Um, you eat throughout the entire day, just like you don't reach your, your total hydration intake goal in one day. I mean, in one meal, you don't reach your, your total carbohydrate intake goal, um, in one meal, you don't reach your, you know, your, all your different, uh, you know, essential fats in, in one meal. It's, it's things are accumulated throughout the day. And, and that's what sets you up for, you know, for, for success. So, um, you know, and you also have to look at the, the, the baggage that comes with the animal protein. Like I said earlier, um, you can't just look at it as far as it's amino acid content. What is its impact on class one or class two A carcinogens? What is its impact on dietary cholesterol? What is its impact on um, on blood vessels? What is its impact on calorie uh, calorie density, and you know possibly preventing the consumption of other foods due to being too full uh, from this calorie rich you know and not quite as nutrient dense animal protein? And now you're missing out on all these these anti-inflammatory antioxidant foods. You got to look at, at all of those things. And when you do that, I think you come to the conclusion that, you know what, uh, plants have all these different benefits and from a nutrition standpoint, from a longevity standpoint, uh, from even a muscle building standpoint, and you can just, you can get all the protein you need from plants without, without the worry. And just understand that you've got to reach your calorie needs. And once you do that, then you are well on your way to getting all the protein that you need. Amazing. Thank you. We'll leave the protein issue behind then. Um, so there's uh, everyone, well, most people know that anyone following an exclusively plant-based diet needs to take a source of vitamin B12, depending yep. on where you live, vitamin D as well. But are there any other nutrients of concern um, that someone should be aware of when they're transitioning to a plant-based diet? Because I know, I know one that comes up commonly is iron, for example. Was there anything that you came across of that you'd like to point out? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously B12 is a big one. Doesn't come from animals. Uh, doesn't come from plants. Um, you know, it's a bacteria that we we consume in either um, dirty dirty food, uh, soil hangs out on red meat sometimes. Um, you know, so vegan or not, plant based or not, B12 is definitely something that we recommend. And uh, then there's other ones too. I mean, vitamin D is a big one because um, you know it's it comes from the sun, and a lot of us don't get a lot of sun. You know, if we live anywhere north of Los Angeles or Dallas, Texas, or Atlanta, Georgia, or along that latitudinal plane, um, we're going to struggle. You know, So basically everybody in Canada, most people in the US, um, that's just the way it is. We just don't get as much of that sunlight exposure these days. Uh, you know, and, and, and furthermore, we're, we tend to be inside doing this kind of stuff on the computer, on our phones, um, in buildings. And so you know, vitamin D can be important for some people too. Um, DHA, EPA. Uh, essential fatty acids. You know, some people have a hard time uh, absorbing, assimilating, and utilizing those. Um, that can be a helpful supplement for some people. But really, you know, it's up to the. I think it's up to the individual and getting some sort of blood work done and having an understanding of what you may or may not be able to benefit from, rather than just taking 
you know, uh, pills and powders because, uh, you know, we, we saw it in a magazine um, or, or a book or a recommendation, we should get some blood work done and see kind of what, what, what we can really benefit from. You know, what are our B12 levels? Um, you know, what, what does our vitamin D look like? Uh, you know, what, what could be missing from our, from our diet? So yeah, there, there could be something, uh, maybe some people could benefit from um, increasing iron intake or, or zinc intake or, um, or vitamin K2 intake or whatever. And, and, and so supplementation could be helpful there. But just want to just mention that, and we do talk about that in the book that, you know, you don't need to just take a bunch of things just to take them, you know, um, and understand that when looking at a plant-based diet or evaluating a plant-based diet, you know, just because, you, you, you know, you need to take a vitamin B12 supplement, which again, everybody should take, it doesn't mean like a plant-based diet is incomplete. I mean, it's not, it's not plant-based people plant-based eaters who are fueling this $100 billion supplement industry, right? The number one supplements in the world are vitamins and minerals by far. It's, I mean, a multivitamin is not even, protein powders aren't even close. A multivitamin is the one that everyone's taking. It's not, it's not people on a plant-based diet who are taking that because they're eating, uh, they're eating food sources of vitamins and minerals. So it's those of us who are, who are not on a plant-based diet who are eating uh, multivitamins like crazy and then protein powders like, like whey and casein protein, you know, those are the most popular protein powders, um, you know, in the world by, by far. So it's not like, again, vegans are loading up on all the protein supplementation. It's not, it's people who are eating meat, uh, dairy, eggs, tons of protein sources who are then adding all this extra protein to their diet uh, via, you know, via supplementation of K and, uh, casein and whey. So, um, so, I mean, there, there's some considerations you can take for sure. But, um, but I would really, uh, I really advise people to talk to a physician, doctor, get some blood work done and determine what supplement routine, um, if any beyond B12 is right for you. Perfect. Um, so we've covered like a lot of very, um, good reasons to transition to a plant-based diet or even start incorporating more plants into your diet. So if someone's out there listening and they're an athlete, the book highly recommend. It's a comprehensive how-to manual. But can you just share some quick, maybe tips for transitioning for someone that wants to start today? Oh yeah, thanks, Cass. One of the biggest things that I've observed over the last 20, 25 years, especially with athletes, and this is really, really important because it's one of the things that has come up over, over and over and over and over, is that um, people will will be athletic uh, and 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 switch over from an omnivorous diet to plant-based diet. And they'll say, you know, why, why do I feel weaker? Why did I lose weight? Why do I have less energy and all this stuff? And what they've done is they've taken out the animal protein from their diet. They've taken out all the meat, the dairy, the eggs. And that was probably a very big chunk of their diet. And they've, and they've just replaced it with oftentimes fruits and vegetables and salads and things like that. And what was once a 3000 calorie diet is now a 2000 calorie diet. And they say, where'd my strength go? Where'd my energy go? They, they, they've removed a third of their, of their calories. And they wondered why they lost weight or why they lost strength. That is a huge thing. I see it in bodybuilding. I see it in strength sports. I see it in power sports. I've seen it. I've observed it. I get those questions. I get those emails um, all the time uh, or conversations with people. So what you have to do is understand calorie density. And so what that means is, you need to consume some of those more calorie rich foods. So if you're taking out meat and animal protein that is 
um, really calorie dense, you've got to replace it with foods like a combination of things like like lentils and rice and oats and and nut butters especially are really really calorie dense. So you know, putting whether that's uh, doesn't just have to be peanut butter sandwiches, right? It can be you know almond butter or peanut butter on, on anything. It could even be a peanut sauce on a pan thai, whatever the case is. You've got to keep the calories up if that's what your body was used to. Um, it, now, there's there's some evidence perhaps that you can fuel uh, performance even better on a lower calorie intake than you were before because you're getting a higher nutrient per calorie ratio. That was kind of the thesis for Brandon Brazier's work with Thrive. Um, a longtime friend of mine, great great friend of mine, who's also in in the book. But for most people transitioning, which is what we, your, your specific question was, you've got to be aware of that. So what that means is, if you're eating, you know, burgers and pizza and stuff like that, um, don't replace it with salads. You add salads in, but go with a plant based burger and plant based pizza. Um, it may not be the healthiest overall choices, but if that's what your diet was before switch over to plant-based versions of that to get used to that, get accustomed to that, um, for your body to adapt to that, that, you know, those, those calorie dense plant-based foods. And then from there you can decide, okay, now I want to move more toward, I don't know, you know, broccoli and sweet potatoes and blueberries and walnuts and all that. Um, but there's gotta be this period where your calorie intake is roughly the same. And I've done it. I mean, many of us have done that, right? We've, we've switched our diet and we dramatically change our body weight or our energy or our performance. And we say, what happened? You know, we try a raw food diet, maybe. We try a, I mean, that happened when I tried like, when I tried like a gluten-free and soy-free diet for a while, you know, what was left, right? Like, I, you know, we, we, we have to make sure we, we keep that calorie intake where it was. And that's one way to make sure that we maintain weight, if that's what our goal is, and that we get the same calories we were before. And then from there, tweak it and, and make it, make it your own, you know, whatever your favorite foods are. Thank you. That's huge. And I think a lot of people recognize that a plant-based diet is great for weight loss, but they don't kind of flip it and think like, okay, if it's great for weight loss, I need to be upping it. If I'm an athlete, if I'm um, burning off thousands of calories a day. So thank right. you. Thank you for that. Um, just another common complaint that sometimes comes up. So we've covered the, like the weight loss, the fatigue or anything like that, but some people complain of GI upset or they're, they're bloated on a vegan diet. What would you say to that? Yeah. And that's, that can be a common theme, um, and common theme for a lot of people. And, and, and that's just, sometimes it's just a byproduct of the, of the specific foods consumed. And I don't want to say that, you know, it, it, it magically goes away completely with time or anything like that, because it's, you know, certain foods do have a greater impact on, um, on, on bloating or producing gas or GI discomfort or something like that. And so I would just say, pay attention to the foods that do that. You know, like for me, like seitan, that wheat protein does that for me. So I just, I don't eat it. I stay away from it. You know, um, it's not something I, I incorporate into my diet, even if it's a great protein source and all this stuff, like I'm just not interested. Um, and so be aware of that kind of stuff. Be aware of, um, of food combining uh, of, you know, you don't want to have like, you know, you, you don't want to have this big, heavy meal. Let's say this big plant-based burger and then immediately eat a bunch of fruit, like, you know, grapes or nectarines or whatever, because your body's going to take longer to digest that 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 burger and then and then fruit gets digested quickly and the fruit's going to try to go through the system and, and digest quickly and it's going to mix in with some of that heavy protein and fat and and then going to create some um, some gas and bloating and upset stomach. Um, it's very common. It's just like you know, don't eat 
uh, you know, uh, don't eat a whole can of refried beans and expect to go run a 10K uh, and, and feel no discomfort. Um, that's going to be a problem. Uh, and that could happen from any kind of mono meal as well. Like it's, it's, it's cherry season right now, my favorite time of year. And so I'm eating cherries like crazy because they're the best tasting fruit in the world as far as I'm concerned. But you eat too many of them, you get, you get some discomfort there. And, and so it's just being aware of the foods that, that work well with you. There are people on a plant-based diet I know who say they have you know, this, this, this iron stomach, you know, nothing bothers them. And, and, th- and that's great. Other people are going to be much more sensitive. And so um, you, can, you, can, you can sprout different foods. You, I mean, you, you can rinse and wash beans and all this stuff. You can, you can take these things. You can use, it might be the easiest thing is just to take some digestive enzymes. You know, take digestive enzymes before you eat certain foods. Um, people do that all the time uh, on a plant-based diet or not. Um, you know, they, they, that just helps with some of that digestion and, and reducing um, gas or bloating or discomfort. So, um, you know, that could be recommended. But, but typically, uh, you might experience some changes as your diet changes, just as you would if you had never eaten meat or dairy and you started to. And then, and then you got all these uh, side effects of consuming large amounts of dairy your body wasn't used to. So, you know, it goes both ways, but just be aware of it what foods kind of maybe set you off and, and avoid those as much as possible and, and, and practice, uh, you know, good food combining and digestive, uh, strategies, um, stay hydrated well. And, uh, you know, and hopefully it's not that big of a deal. All right. So there's depending on who you are, there might be a little bit of trial and error involved, but just because you try it and you experience a little bit of discomfort at first, don't throw the whole diet out the window, keep working at it. And most people can figure out something that works for them. Hey. Yeah. And you do that with anything, right? You do it with exercise, you do it with nutrition, you do it with sleep schedule, you do it with whatever. You've got to try different things and see what works. You know, if you have a hard time falling asleep, try different strategies. If you have a hard time building muscle, try different strategies, you know, hard time reaching your calorie needs, try different strategies. And so that's just part of the the name of the game uh, is to try different things and, and uh, be open to new ideas and, and see what works. Exactly. So the book truly is incredible. So not only does it have all the practical information someone needs to make the switch, like we've kind of talked about, but it's filled with inspiring stories and there's real life examples of elite athletes. So I honestly think reading some of the stories was my favorite part of the book. It really, it just, it reads more like almost like a novel sometimes rather than just like a go-to manual. Um, So I'm curious, you interviewed so many athletes for the book. Did anything surprise you? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm really glad you said that because that's one of my favorite parts of the book too. Uh, and, and I did all 60 interviews myself and, and and it was so fun for me. And actually the stories were much longer. It's just that for a book like this, the you know the editor and you know they have to trim the stories. I would have liked the entire book to be stories, you know, without uh, all the other information about the, the, the nutrition and, and uh, nutrient density and, and each macronutrient and all that. But you have to do that to make it a complete book. But- you know, I like the stories myself. I mean, that was something that really moved me and compelled me and inspired me. And I still get inspired when I read those stories, even though I wrote them, I conducted those interviews and follow-up interviews, whether in person, over the phone, through email. Um, I, I've been, uh, I can hear my, my dog scratching on the ground. I hear, I'm like, what's that noise? <laughs> no, it's my little dog down there scratching. Um, so, you know, the stories themselves, um, I think are just so compelling. And that was really the purpose of me writing this book too, was to tell those stories and get those stories out there. 
So as far as what was surprising, um, there were a number of things. Uh, one thing I, and it goes back to the topic we talked about a little bit earlier. One thing that I thought was really particularly intriguing and insightful was that uh, when I talked to some of the best athletes in the world about things like supplementation, uh, obviously a hot topic, you know, what, what kind of supplements are you using or not using? And Cass, I was, I was really surprised to find out that many of the Olympic athletes weren't using any supplements uh, because largely they, they, they all said kind of the same thing. They worried about failing drug tests, you know, with depending on what, what, what may or may not be in that supplement. It was just risky. You know, you work your entire life to be an Olympic athlete. You want to represent your country in the Olympic games and, and not wanting to jeopardize that, not wanting to risk that. And so uh, I, f- I found that to be fascinating because we think in athletics that basically to be at the top of your game, be the best in the world, you've got to be taking every substance you can that's, that's legal. You know, you got to take every protein powder, every, uh, you know, branched chain amino acid, glutamine, creatine, anything for recovery, pills, powders, beverages, liquids all day long. Um, and that wasn't necessarily the case, including for world record holders and Olympic medalists. And, and that was surprising. Um, another thing, I guess, I guess that was, was a little bit, uh, a, a, a little bit compelling, um, or, or, or came to some surprise, and especially for my co-author, he really talked about this as, as, as a kind of a big surprise for him when he was reading through all the interviews and, and everything when the book was was finished. Was that there's not like one size fits all diet. You know, the athletes eat so differently. You know, Megan Duhamel, Olympic gold medal winning figure skater from Canada who barely weighs 100 pounds, is going to eat a lot different than George LaRock, who played 13 seasons in the, in the NHL, who's, you know, six foot six, 300 pounds, three times her size, literally. Uh, they're going to eat completely differently. And, and we just kind of thought, I think both of us, me and Matt, both kind of thought that, well, all athletes, regardless of gender or sport um, or background, you know, they're, they're the best in the world and they're all plant-based. They're all going to eat roughly the same you know, roughly the same kind of foods, the same uh, macronutrient breakdown, you know, they're going to eat about the same. That's just, that must be what ties them together. But what we found is that that, that wasn't the case, that people ate uh, very, very differently. And the main theme, of course, was, um, was whole foods, um, was, was predominant, and, and the omission of all animal protein and, and uh, uh, you know, and eating an exclusive plant-based diet. But kind of the, the similarities ended there, you know, where some people focus more on more on whole foods or exclusively whole foods. Some people use a bunch of supplements. Some people use uh, consume a bunch of processed foods, especially power lifters. Um, but it's the, the fact that they all share this common theme of eating exclusively plant-based, no animal protein, a high emphasis on, on whole plant foods. And, and they all see the same results in reduced inflammation, improved recovery, more energy, and in many, many cases, extended longevity to their careers. So um, so those were some of the takeaways. And then they're just the stories themselves, I found um, just really, really motivational and aspirational, largely because there's a mindset component, a mental toughness component that so many of them share, whether you're a, a world champion mountain biker like Sonia Looney, or, uh, or Rip Esselstyn, who set a world record at, in swimming at nearly age 60 um, for a age, age group, and he's been plant-based for 35 years or more. Uh, 
there is, or, or, or Fiona Oaks, who, you know, set uh, Guinness World Records running marathons on every continent, including Antarctica, uh, or, or Rich Roll, who, you know, uh, went through his midlife crisis and, and developed the best version of himself, you know, in his, in his mid-40s as an athlete. And there's this level of mental toughness that is really, really inspirational. And we even have an, a section about that. We have a mindset section because how do you get to that transformation? You know, we have, we have Dotsie Bausch who overcame drug addiction or Josh Lajani who overcame obesity to be then an endurance athlete. Um, people who overcame all kinds of obstacles and struggles in their life to then be some of the best in the world. Um, you know, it starts up here. You know, there, there's a mental a mental toughness approach that I, that I appreciate so much. And so that was also something that was really, really, really an enjoyable byproduct of these interviews. Well, the book is amazing. And I highly recommend anyone listening to this. If you don't have a copy, go out, order one now, go to your bookstore. Um, you won't regret it. And just, uh, as you were talking about the, all the variability in the diets that you have an entire section day in the life where you go over all the athletes showing what their workout looks like, what they're eating before, what they're eating after. And I truly love that because again, everyone's so different yet. There's common themes that kind of arise above it all. And it it's fascinating and I love it. So as we close out here, um, what is one thing you would like people listening to take away from this conversation? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, Really what I want people to take away from this is that, you know, you, you've got to believe in yourself. And if you believe in yourself, um, you can do amazing things. And, and I believed as a, as a, you know, as an eight-year-old that someday I would be here as a New York Times bestselling author. And I believed it all through this process, including the last two and a half years, uh, including even just days before um, we ended up on that list, which is a mystery until we get announced. It, I, you know, I, I predicted all of this. I predicted this would happen because I worked toward it. And I used vegan bodybuilding as a vehicle to become a best-selling author. And I used a vegan diet to become a, a champion bodybuilder. And, and that combination enabled me to tell a story and write books and, and hopefully encourage others to do the same. But it, but it all started with believing that I could do it. So if, if you're on the fence about a plant-based diet, you've, you've got to believe that you can do it and find your own reasons why you want to do it. You know, for me, I never forgot why I came to a plant-based diet in the first place because I wanted to make a difference in the world around me uh, for animals. Uh, I got the nutrition uh, and the health were just byproducts of that. You know, they were just you know, extended benefits, but I, but I never forgot why I did it. And so I, I think hopefully one of the things people will take away is that if you, if you find your, your, your passion and, and, and purpose and your mission and work hard at it and believe in yourself, that was the absolute key foundation, not just for me and my co-author, Matt, but for the athletes we interviewed. They all believed that they could be great at something. And they all had their own reasons why they wanted to do that. They wanted to chase a childhood dream or they wanted to show what was possible. They wanted to put the plant-based diet on the map in athletics and and make a change in their world. Um, And so it starts with believing that you can do it. If, If weight loss is a struggle and it has been your entire life, you've got to believe that you can do it and then take the actions necessary to support it. If you've never been able to build muscle, and I honestly didn't know if I ever could at first, weighing 120 pounds, but I believed it. And I, and I was in the gym, small small little guy lifting weights. I could visualize five years ahead, 10 years ahead, 15 years ahead and said, yes, I can do this and, and, and believed in it. And sure enough, I put on a hundred pounds and ended up on magazine covers and in documentaries and books and all this stuff. And it, and it worked because I worked. So that, that's the thing. It will work if you work at it. And we've got 1,440 minutes every day 
you know, why not take action and make it happen? Why not get after it? You know, every day is an opportunity to get closer to where we want to go with health and fitness, whether it's preventing and reversing a disease uh, or just having greater levels of vitality, just feeling better, feeling more energetic or an actual, you know, tangible result like running a marathon or, or competing in, in a bodybuilding competition or whatever it is, um, believe in yourself first and then do the actions necessary to support that. And a plant-based diet is a, is a, beautiful, uh, a beautiful way to support whatever your athletic endeavors are. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Um, is there anywhere, I'll obviously link to the book in the show notes, but is there anywhere you'd like to quickly direct people if they want to find out more about you, find out what you're doing? Yeah, thanks, Cass. Um, veganbodybuilding.com is a website I've been running for almost 20 years. It's always going through changes and under, it seems like under construction with adding new things. But veganbodybuilding.com, from there, hopefully people can find my newsletter, which I send out about every week or so. And, and links to social media where you can find me doing all my, my silly posts there. So, so yeah, veganbodybuilding.com. And again, uh, Cass, I appreciate the opportunity today. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Plant Fueled Podcast. Just a reminder, be sure to check out the show notes for all the resources mentioned and details on how to connect with our guest. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and share the show with friends, family, or anyone else who may benefit. And one small favor, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star rating or review wherever you are listening. It helps other people discover the show and spread this information. If you have any comments or feedback, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. Anyways, be sure to move your body, eat some plants, be grateful for the little things, and until next time.